Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exults, and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. O save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Those are the final four verses of Psalm 28, which along with Psalm 26 are the psalms appointed for today, Tuesday, October the 19th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being with me today. We are moving from Jeremiah into another book written by Jeremiah, which is Lamentations. And we're going to look at the first 12 verses of the first chapter of Lamentations this morning. And then we're also going to continue our study in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, verses 41 to 50, and in Matthew's Gospel, the 11th chapter, verses 25 to 30. So the the book of Lamentations is, is, is uh, Jeremiah's lament <laughs> over Jerusalem. So it's after the fall of Jerusalem, and he's writing as one who loves the city and who, who, who aligns himself, as prophets are intended to do, aligns himself with the purposes and the plan of God and the will of God and the Word of God, but also aligns himself with the people to whom he speaks. He has to be aligned with both. He has to represent God to the people and the people to God. And the only way you can do that is to immerse yourself in, in God, in order that you can speak to the people, but to also take the people's pain and their difficulties and carry that to the Lord. So he's, he's intended to be an intercessor for the people, but he's also somebody who, who has to walk in the holiness of God and respect the holiness of God in order to do that. And too often in the church today, what we don't have are prophets. What we have instead are, are people who are, are preaching um, basically about how to be a, a good person in this life or, or how to uh, have your best life now or something like that, as opposed to representing the holiness of God, holding up God before the people. And when Jesus was here, he, he did exactly that. He represented God perfectly, but he was here to represent us to, the, to God as well. And so he sympathized, empathized, and, and identified with us as a human being, but he never laid aside the holiness of God, that holy other in whose image that we're created. And so, so he always held that up, and that's the reason that he spoke such powerful judgment over the people in the lessons we had yesterday. So, so now what we see is, is that this, 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 both sides— of the prophet here in the book of Lamentations, because he's not separated himself from the people, he's not separated himself from the city and the and the, the land, but he's also not separating himself from God, and so he's feeling everything that each feels. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she has become, she who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her, and they become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. 
the roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. That's a, to me is a haunting and beautiful line right there. The roads to Zion mourn, for none none come to the festival. So it, everything is desolate. Even the roads mourn because they they don't see the the happy pilgrim faces as they go to Jerusalem. All her gates are desolate. Her priests groan. Her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head. Her enemies prosper because the Lord has afflicted her. For the multitude of her transgressions, her children have gone away, captives before the thro- before the foe. And so there you see this mixture of, of lamentation over what has happened, but that there's also lamentation over why it happened. So he's lamenting from a human perspective and lamenting from a godly perspective as well. It had to be. In spite of how awful it is, it had to be, is, is essentially the, the fullness of the message. From the daughter of Zion, all her majesty has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wandering all the precious things that were hers from days of old, when her people fell into the hand of the foe and there was none to help her. Her flo- foes gloated over her. They mocked at her downfall. You can hear, from the human perspective, you can hear how much Jeremiah is is in pain over what he sees, over what it used to be and what it became. It's an awful thing to live in that time when you see everything crumbling before you, everything that was great is now brought low. And then he goes on to say, Jerusalem sinned grievously, therefore she became filthy. All who honored her despise her, for they've now seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirt. She took no thought of her future. Therefore, her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. The enemy has stretched out his hands over all her precious things, for she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those whom you forbid to enter your congregation. And that, to me, is the worst thing of all, to imagine this place where the glory of the Lord dwelt, where we were afraid to even enter, where we were forbidden to enter, now completely overrun. And anybody who wants to goes in and out of that place. All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look and see, is there any sorrow like my sorrow which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger? That's the perfect encapsulation of the character of a prophet, a man who, who is identifying himself completely with both, fully understands the grief of one, but fully understands the reason that it all happened. Doesn't lay blame on God, lays blame exactly where it belongs, the people who failed to repent. You know, Are we going to be those people in our day, in our place, in America, who have to watch that, who, who see the destruction of the land because our people wouldn't repent? We pretended to be Christians. We took his name in vain rather than in reality. So here Jesus speaks, after he has spoken the woes over those cities in Galilee, he he says, at that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. 
And it's exactly what it looks like all along. He, he gathers, remember back in, in um, 1 Samuel, the, the men who, who were in distress and in debt and all that, they all were the ones who gathered around to David. Those are the ones who were gathering around Jesus, the ones who were despised by the wise and the understanding. The scribes and the Pharisees won't come to him. They've rejected him. They've already made their decision. And remember what he said yesterday, wisdom is shown by her deeds. And so here what Jesus is saying is, 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 is that he is weeping over the bad leadership in this place rather than um, holding up that leadership. And so what he's saying is, is you didn't reveal these things to the wise and understanding, but to the little children. Remember the ones that were going out to John, and then ultimately the leaders began to go out to John, and John didn't receive them with gladness. He didn't say, oh my goodness gracious, look who's among us today. Look at this. Wow, this is great stuff. Leaders are coming out. No, he didn't. He said, who warned you to flee the wrath that's to come, you brood of vipers? And so here, Jesus is saying the same thing. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. So the recognition of Jesus at this time is only fully known to the Father. It only comes later with the outpouring of the Spirit when they recognize him for who he truly is after the crucifixion and after the resurrection. So he says, and no one knows the Father except the Son. So there's this knowing thing. It's that gnosis, which is the fullness of knowledge of one another. And we don't even know ourselves well, much less even our spouses, our children, or whatever. There's parts of these things that are hidden to us, but that's not the kind of knowledge he's speaking with the Father and the Son. There's a transparency in that knowledge. And then he says, no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So Jesus is making choices about to whom to reveal the Father, and remember some of the people that he, he reveals them to, which is the, the woman at the well in Samaria. Jesus chooses in the same way God chose David, right? By not seeing as man sees, but seeing the heart. And he has compassion and reveals the Father. Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's calling those like came to David the ones who were in debt, who were in distress and, and had other kinds of issues. Jesus is begging those to come to him. Do you recognize yourself in that call? Are you weary and heavy laden? And he promises that he'll give us rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Who would not take him up on that on that offer, right? I mean, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And that's what they, the Pharisees and the scribes taught that way. This is the yoke of the Pharisees. This is, we, are, we are together in this process of learning. I'm teaching, you're learning. But, but Jesus will say later, they tie up burdens that they're not willing to bear themselves. And so, so he says, come to me and allow me to be your teacher. Be yoked together with me like oxen. And we will travel together and walk together. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so Jesus is contrasting himself with those false shepherds that are leading the people and, and offering them rest for their souls, which should be Psalm 23, right? It's a powerful image and it's a powerful offer. And yet we, 
somehow or another we can we can make it so that the burden seems heavy. We we can do that in our own day with with excess legalism. We can absolutely do the same thing by tying up those yokes that we're not willing to bear ourselves. In the First Corinthians passage, Paul Paul we we start again with the verse that ended yesterday's lesson. There's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For each star differs from another in glory. He says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. He's speaking about the bodies, remember, is how we got to this point. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What's sown is perishable. It dies. What's raised is imperishable. It never dies. It's sown in dishonor because we believe that we're in original sin and a complete fall. So it's sown in dishonor and it's raised in glory. It'll be a sinless new body. It's sown in weakness, which falls under temptation. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, and it's raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, then there is a spiritual body. And Paul's just rationally, logically working through this argument. He said, thus it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. And how, what was the process of Adam becoming a living being? It was, it was the Lord bent down, scooped up some of the dust of the earth, formed it into the shape of a man, and then breathed into it. And it was at the time that he breathed his spirit into it that Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The first Adam had to be given life. The second Adam gives life. But it's not the spiritual that's first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man, Jesus, is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And it's the man of heaven so also are those who are of heaven. If you've been born of the Spirit, then you're a new creation. You're, you're beginning to see the, the, the birth of this new creation that's intended to be, but it's trapped in this mortal body. And, and we have, we're to have control over that body. We're to ex- exercise the control of the Holy Spirit over our bodies and our minds and our hearts. And that's what Paul's saying is, is that, that we're the first fruits and we have, we, we have some sense of what it's like, but then our bodies have a will of their own, as he's going to talk about in Romans 6. And so he's talking about that, that fighting against it. But you, you've received the spirit, which is the down payment on what the body will ultimately be. It's the promise of those. <clears throat> Just as we've borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of of the man of heaven. So the promise is that that we will bear the image of Christ. And the Holy Spirit has been given to us that we might do it, although imperfectly, in this world, because we're still trapped in the body of sin. But, But ultimately, he says, that'll give way to a new body. You'll receive a new body. He said, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So these things all have to pass away. doesn't mean they're not important, because it's the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's the place where the Holy Spirit dwells. So your body is important. It continues to be important, and you don't want to defile that temple. However, it is not a permanent dwelling for the Holy Spirit. It's a tent as opposed to a temple.
And so we need to take that seriously. And we need in this body, we are intended to all be prophetic in the sense that we have one foot in heaven and one foot on earth. But it's God's agenda that matters. It's God's will that matters and not the world. And so we're here to proclaim the coming of the kingdom in the bodies that we have now in order that they might be glorified when we get to heaven.